It's Christmas! Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. And happy blooming Christmas to you and all. Welcome back to the second episode of Merry Britsmas, the podcast that covers all things Christmas from a British perspective. My name's Adam, and I'm well and truly in the festive swing of things now, with Christmas jumpers. Christmas food, Christmas drinks, Christmas shopping, Christmas films, and Christmas music galore. In this episode, I'm going to be exploring more glam rock, another festive comedy, and the tradition of the royal speech. Let's get going. Last week, I looked at the royal family, and I'm sticking with the funny this week, stepping further back in time to see an unusual Christmas Carol inspired special from 1988. Set between the third and fourth series of Blackadder, Blackadder's Christmas Carol took the characters and spirit of the show into a warped but jolly episode. For those not in the know, Blackadder was played by Rowan Atkinson, before he was Mr Bean. Each series was set in a different historical era following the misfortunes of the Blackadder family dynasty, starting with the 1400s before moving through the Elizabethan and Georgian eras, then ending with a fourth series set during World War I. Every series had Blackadder having to deal with those more powerful than him while struggling to gain power or wealth for himself, always accompanied by his ailing, idiotic sidekick Baldrick, played by Tony Robinson. An amazing range of actors turned up in the series, including Rick Mayle, Brian Blessed, Miranda Richardson, Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry, the last three of these appearing in the Christmas special. In the reign of Good Queen Vic, there stood in Dumpling Lane in Old London Town the moustache shop of one Ebenezer Blackadder, the kindest and loveliest man in all England. <laughs> In the Christmas special, we meet Ebenezer Blackadder, a Victorian shop owner. He is generous and kind to all, giving everything he has to those around him, who mainly consist of greedy family members and acquaintances who end up taking away Blackadder and Baldrick's presents, dinner, snacks and decorations. Thanks for all the prezzies. Why don't you take the flipping tree? <laughs> What a jolly young girl. <laughs> yeah, pretty she nicks all the presents. He is stuck with, as ever, his idiotic sidekick in Baldrick, who even has trouble spelling the word Christmas. Christmas has an H in it, Mr oh. Baldrick. And an R. <laughs> also an I and an S. Also T and M and A. 
and another S. Oh, and you've missed out the C at the beginning. <laughs> Congratulations, Mr. Baldrick. Something of a triumph. I think you must be the first person ever to spell Christmas without getting any of the letters right at all. On Christmas Eve, a spirit, who seems to enjoy drinking spirits, appears, played by Robbie Coltrane, and looking rather like his later role of Hagrid, much to the confusion of the English students in my class I showed this to recently. No, no. Just popped in to say hello. Spirit of Christmas, how do you do? Just doing my usual rounds, you know, a wee bit of haunting, getting misers to change their evil ways. But you're obviously such a good chap, there'll be no need for any of that nonsense. So I'll just say cheery bye. Cheery bye. Can I get you a cup of tea or anything? You wouldn't have anything a wee bit more medicinal. Oh, I see. Oh, I've only got some of Nurse McCready's surgical bruise lotion. <laughs> Nothing but the best at this house. <laughs> the spirit shows him the mean ancestors from his family line, namely Lord Blackadder from series 2 and Mr Blackadder Esquire from series 3. These individuals set out to trick their way into wealth and seem to be succeeding in hilarious and ridiculous ways. Miranda Richardson plays a particularly wonderful Queen Elizabeth who has banned Christmas, only to change her mind to the annoyance of Lord Blackadder. Pity about this, Tinky Wink. You always used to love this time of year. Hello. Leaving a little mince pie and a glass of wine out for Father Christmas. And then scoffing it. Because I was a princess and can do what I bloody well like. I'm wondering if your father's wife would last till Boxing Day without having her head cut off. We knew if he gave her a hat, she'd probably be all right. Mm. Happy days. Yeah. Ebenezer Blackadder asks what might happen in the future if he decides to become more like his ancestors. So is then shown the far, far future as Grand Admiral Blackadder, a ruthless military leader about to marry the Queen, with Baldrick donning a scanty jockstrap outfit, showcasing the best of pale, hairy British manhood. Now, Your Majesty, I must respectfully insist that you hand over to me the supreme command of the universe, sew a button on my spare uniform, and marry me this afternoon. I thought you'd never answer. <laughs> As with last week, we step into spoiler territory now, so either pause this and watch the whole thing, or skip ahead a couple of minutes if you haven't seen it yet. With the departure of the spirit on Christmas Day, Ebenezer has a change of heart and showcases the true wicked nature of the Blackadder family, which mostly consists of the general torture and targeting of poor Baldrick. Looks like Father Christmas just forgot about me this year. Oh dear me, but don't be too unhappy, because if you look very carefully, there's something in this stocking from me. Mm. In fact, it's something I made for you. Well, that's the kind of prezzy that shows the most love. What did you make for me, Mr B? I've made you... A fist. A fist? Yes, it's for hitting. Ooh. And what's wonderful about it is that you can use it again, and again, and again. Well, what do you say? Thank you, Mr. B. Think nothing of it, Baldrick. I, after all, think nothing of you. Ooh. Meanwhile, Queen Victoria 
and Prince Albert, played by Miriam Margoyles and Jim Broadbent, are feeling Christmassy and are out to visit the poor of London and to reward the kind and virtuous, such as Blackadder. You know, when we disguise ourselves as common folk and go out amongst the people to reward the virtuous and the good. Oh, yes, of course, dumb cop. There's half that I forget. However, his changing ways lead to an inevitable sitcom mix-up. We are Queen Victoria. All three of you. (laughs) My dear little hobgoblin. (laughs) Here is our royal seal. We have come to present your master with £50,000 and the title of Baron Blackadder for being the kindest man in England. Lummy, your majesty. (laughs) What did I tell you I'd do if you didn't slam the door on the faces of these scrounging loafers? But, but, Mr Blackadder... (laughs) I'm not at home to guests. Blackadder is an example of a classic British comedy that mixes slapstick, wordplay, innuendo and outright farce in wonderful balance. Rowan Atkinson embodies the Blackadder character just as he does Mr Bean, whilst the range of talent that surrounds him merely add to the joy and splendour of the show. The Christmas special twists A Christmas Carol in such a unique way that I return to it every year in December, and that's why I'm giving it 9 out of 10 mince pies, leaping over the royal family by half a mince pie. I promise I'll cover some worse Christmas episodes in the new year. Last week, I discussed the mania of the Christmas number one, and I'm going to look at another yearly tradition here in the UK that started all the way back in 1932, the Royal Christmas Message. King George V was asked to make a live Christmas message via radio for the BBC, but the monarch declined, thinking it was an entertainment media form. In 1932, his mind had been changed, supposedly by his wife and the Prime Minister, Ramsay MacDonald. Through one of the marvels of modern science, I am enabled this Christmas Day to speak to all my peoples throughout the Empire. I take it as a good omen that wireless should have reached its present perfection at a time when the empire has been linked in closer union. For it offers us immense possibilities to make that union closer still. Every year since has had a Christmas message from the King or Queen, except for 1936, as King Edward VIII had only abdicated two weeks prior, and 1938. There was also only a written address in 1969, because, oddly, the Queen decided the royals had been on television enough that year. George V recorded four messages before his death, and his successor, George VI, recorded 14. Queen Elizabeth took the reins in 1952, focusing on tradition and unity in her first ever message. The monarch has consistently used this message to touch upon events of the year, sometimes looking to console or inspire the nation, referencing major global issues such as civil rights in 1968, after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr, 
and violence during the Irish Troubles in 1972. It is one of the few opportunities the Queen has to express her personal opinions and beliefs, writing the speech mostly on her own, with the help of advisers and supposedly her husband. In terms of production and background details, the first ever speech was written by Rudyard Kipling, the writer of The Jungle Book. It began as a radio broadcast, and the first televised broadcast was in 1957, with the first broadcast in colour coming ten years later, in 1967. Happy Christmas. 25 years ago, my grandfather broadcast the first of these Christmas messages. Today is another landmark, because television has made it possible for many of you to see me in your homes on Christmas Day. My own family often gather round to watch television, as they are at this moment, and that is how I imagine you now. I very much hope that this new medium will make my Christmas message more personal and direct. The legendary Richard Attenborough produced the speech from 1986 to 1991. Statistics-wise, the highest ratings came in 1980 when 27 million people tuned in to watch on Christmas Day. Even in today's rich and varied media landscape, she averages 7 million viewers every year. The Queen records the speech, usually in one take, a few weeks before Christmas to enable it to be sent out to Commonwealth nations for transmission, which has always been at 3pm Greenwich Mean Time which was to allow for as wide a simultaneous broadcast as possible in Commonwealth nations during daytime hours. It was a BBC exclusive for many years until 1997 when it was also broadcast via ITN. It is now broadcast on BBC TV and radio, ITV, Sky and online. The production of the speech is shared between BBC, ITN and Sky in alternating years. In 2012, it was even broadcast and recorded in 3D. Who knows what the future will bring? Perhaps holograms? Virtual reality? We'll have to wait and see. Channel 4 started their own alternative Christmas message with odd celebrities. We'll cover that in a future episode. I've decided to stick to the glittery glam genre. With Wizards, I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day from 1973. Wizard were a glam rock band created by Roy Wood, formerly of The Move and Electric Light Orchestra. Wood wore distinctive face paint and colourful costumes that helped make a mark on the music scene as they quickly raced to the top of the charts. Their saxophonist, Mike Burney, claims he often said being in the band was like Christmas every day, which is where the song idea and name came from. Roy said he wanted to make a Christmas song as they had been unfashionable for years, so he wanted to make a real rock and roll Christmas song. They recorded all night using the Spectre-esque wall of sound technique. The old-fashioned till sound that kicks off the song 
was actually recorded with an old till they found, as they thought a pre-recorded sound effect didn't seem right. However, despite recording all night, Wood didn't like their initial attempts and dumped the lot, leading them to record for another 12 hours. Apparently, the vocal recording involved quite a bit of vodka to get that Christmas party vibe. Wood wanted a children's choir and demanded they be from Birmingham, their hometown, despite recording in London. Keyboardist Bill Hunt lived near Stockland Green School and the band drove a whole bunch of kids to the studio, giving them cakes and chocolates for the journey to keep them energised. The kids were also taken to Hard Rock Cafe after for burgers and banana splits. The track was planned for release on Warner Brothers, as the band were coming to the end of their contract with EMI. However, at the last moment, it was discovered that EMI were legally entitled to release the track, so the Warner Brothers pressings were halted, and EMI got to release it. It only made it to number 4 that Christmas, but has since become a British Christmas classic. As an added bit of bad luck, the original tapes were lost and the band had to re-record it with another school choir from Worcester when the track was re-released in 1981. How about some interesting cover versions? Classic American rock band Cheap Trick covered it with a US rock kick last year. British X Factor winner Leona Lewis recorded a poptastic version in 2013. German punk band Die Totenhosen added a heavier spin in 1998. Indie rock stalwarts Ash covered it in their own style in 2004. Oh, So, that's a wrap on episode 2. I hope you enjoyed hearing about a twisted Christmas carol, the Queen's festive chatter, and wishing for a never-ending Christmas, which sounds alright to me. It's nearly Christmas, so have a brilliant, merry, jolly time, and in January I'll keep the holiday cheer going with episode 3, where I'll look at the aftermath of Christmas in the UK, and an even stranger television episode. Happy blooming Christmas to you and all.